Hello and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. My name is Lee Younger. I'm one of the pastors here and this is a message I gave on Sunday morning, February 25th, 2024 from the Gospel of Luke in chapter 9. Good morning, everybody. We are going to be in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 9. If you have a copy of the scriptures and you want to follow along, I'll read it in a few minutes. But ever since January, we have been talking about two words that Jesus said. Follow me, he would say to different people in different, at different times. And just what it means. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it take? What are the stakes of following him? And what happens when you do? There are people who said no to Jesus. There are people who we don't know what they said. It was kind of a cliffhanger. And there were people who said yes. And if you said yes to the words, follow me, then that would become this volcanic interruption into whatever your life was going to be and to whatever it would be now. Before we go to Luke chapter 9, I want to ask a couple questions. And these are participatory. I don't know if I said that right, participatory. But answer out loud questions, okay? So don't be shy. Um, go ahead and help your brothers and sisters out by, by letting them know if this applies to you. Okay, here we go. Question number one. Does anyone in here like hate losing? Like just hate it? Like I think most people like winning. Winning is fun. Winning, like if you win a game or you win something. One time I, um, I don't think Chick-fil-A does this anymore, but uh, when we first got a Chick-fil-A in Oak Ridge, they would do a thing where the 100th customer would win their meal for free. And um, I, I guess this says how many times I was in Chick-fil-A, but I won that seven times. <laughs> and, um, and one time I, w- I was talking to our buddy Cam Gregg about it, and he was like, man, I've been coming here for years, and I, I grew up in Oak Ridge, and I've, I've never won the 100th customer thing. And I was like, oh, man, that, that really stinks for you. I've won it a lot of times. And um, I don't know what that feels like. And then and we were talking about it one time, and a couple weeks later, he was like, let's get breakfast together. I was like, cool, where do you want to go? And he was like, Chick-fil-A. And he got there before I did. And so he sat down and got his food, and I walked in, and I placed my order, and they rang that cowbell. Don't, 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 don't. <laughs> And Cam was like, what? Just looking at his food. Um, yeah, winning is fun. We all like the feeling of winning. But it's something else when you really hate losing, right? That's a different emotion. Like, yeah, we all like winning, but some people hate to lose. Now, you guys know that I am the son of a high school football coach. And I would um, wager that no one hates losing more than coaches. Coaches hate to lose. My dad hates to lose so much that I, I, never, I never thought about it when we were kids, but I found out when I was an adult and it moved out and everything, and we got together for, a, for a, you know, a holiday or something, and somebody wanted to play a game. And uh, my dad said no, and I realized, oh, dad, you never played board games with us. And he was like, absolutely not. I'm not playing a board game. And I was like, why? And he was like, you, you hate board games? He was like, He's like, he thought board games were fine. He said, but the thing about board games is there's some skill and there's some strategy, but in most good board games, there's also a little bit of luck in there. And he was like, I didn't want to lose. So I just thought, I'm not even going to play board games with my family the whole time they were growing up because I hate losing that much. 
the person that hated losing somehow even more than my dad was the guy my dad worked with, my head football coach, Joe Gaddis, who's now our athletic director at Oak Ridge High School. That dude hates losing, like more than anything. He said to me one time that when he pulls up into a grocery store parking lot and gets out of his car, he scans the whole parking lot to see if anybody else just got out of their car so he can beat them into the store. It's like... This is not even a football game, man. I don't care. I hate losing. I'm not losing to anybody in this parking lot. It's like, you're 73 years old. Just relax. It's fine. Yeah, okay. Uh, does anybody have, like, something you lost that you, like, still can't get over? Like, you're still hanging. Like, a loss you took, you just, you're never going to forget it. Anybody have any of that? A couple of people? Okay. I have one. I don't think I'm all that competitive, but I have something that I did not win, and I'm still mad about it to this day. It was sixth grade, and it was that stupid presidential fitness patch. <laughs> Anybody grow up in the 90s and you remember the presidential fitness patch? I'm at Robertsville Junior High School. It was junior high school at that time. And I was pretty stoked because I could do pull-ups to beat the band. I did the whatever, the shuffle, sh you know, shuttle run or whatever. I was doing great on that. No kidding. This is God's honest truth. I did 88 sit-ups in 60 seconds. And I know that they were good because Jill Pruden was counting them. And she's not, she does not mess around about things like that. And I was like, I'm going to get it this year. I'm going to get this, the presidential fitness path. And I couldn't do the sit and reach, y'all. The stupid sit and reach. <laughs> I can't touch my toes, let's not talk about it. I'm not very flexible, okay? But because I couldn't do the sit and reach, Jill Pruden and George Herbert Walker Bush wouldn't give me that patch. <laughs> Still upset about it? Anyway, okay, um, does anybody in here hate being wrong or corrected? Okay, some of y'all are quiet and I'm like, man, y'all are lying in church, man. <laughs> You know, Jesus knows everything, so if you're fine with that. No, I, I, we, we pretty much everybody hates being wrong or corrected, man. We're going we're gonna to get into all of these emotions. The, the folks, folks that hate losing, folks that hate being wrong and corrected, we're going to deal with some of that today. Let's, uh, but let's go with uh, Luke chapter 9. Let's look over here. This is, um, we, we were in Luke chapter 9 last week, for those of you who weren't here. And we're going to go a little bit earlier in the chapter this time. This is about six months before Jesus went to the cross. And this is after a conversation where Jesus said, who do people say that I am? And, and they were like, well, the, the, his guys, his 12 guys were like, some people say this person, some people say that person. And he said, who do you say that I am? And Peter, in, in the version that's in Luke's gospel, Peter said, you're God's Messiah. Short, sweet, to the point. You're God's Messiah. And right after that, Jesus told them for the first time why he came to the earth. Yes, he had been doing a lot of miracles and healing people out of the compassion of his heart and how much he loves people. But the reason that he came, he finally told them, he came to die in our place, to pay the debt with his death that we could not pay ourselves for all of our wrong and all of our sin. And he said it like this. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. This is right after Peter said, you're God's Messiah. He strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, this, uh, this is verse 21, sorry. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. 
and he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Okay, um, so th- one thing that's very interesting to me about this version of Jesus telling his disciples what was going to happen to him is that he did not tell him how he was going to die. Did you catch that? He didn't say that he was going to be crucified here. In fact, the first time he told them and the second time he told them, he did not give them that specific detail. It was the third time that Jesus told his disciples that he was going to die, that he told them in Matthew chapter 20 that he would be crucified. Here he just tells them that he's going to die and on the third day be raised to life. They didn't know how he was going to die. I mean, people had tried to stone Jesus before. Maybe they were going to throw rocks at him and and stone him to death. One time in Luke chapter 4, people tried to throw Jesus off of a cliff. So they're like, are they going to finally do that thing? They don't know how he's going to die. He doesn't tell them that detail. And yet, when he follows up, he's like, I'm going to talk about my death and then I've got to say something to you about yourselves. Whoever wants to be my disciple has to deny themselves and take up their cross daily. He doesn't tell them how he's going to die, but he tells them that if they want to follow him, it involves a cross for them. Take up their cross daily. When I look at this, I'm like, what in the world does that mean? Is anybody else like, what what do you mean by that? How can you daily do something that killed people? How can you take up a cross, one, at all? And how can you do that daily? And what in the world does that have to do with following Jesus? And I'm convinced that they had no idea what he was talking about. I don't think they had any idea what this meant. I don't think they knew what, he, what, what, what taking up a cross had to do with following him. Because to them, which by the way for us, when you think about a cross, you know what the execution style of crucifixion is because people, you know, maybe you've read descriptions of it or you've seen movies where people were crucified. Maybe you've seen a movie where somebody playing Jesus was crucified. It was, if you have seen one of those, it was worse than that. But, you know, you've had some kind of description or you've seen paintings of it or you've seen maybe movies of it or whatever, but it's theoretical, it's remote. It's something that was, isn't part of our daily lives. When he said that to these people, they had crosses as part of their daily lives. The cross, the idea of a cross and someone dying by crucifixion, this was not a remote or theoretical thing to them. They knew what crucifixion sounded like. They knew what crucifixion smelled like. They might have known someone who had died by the means of crucifixion. To them, when you say the word cross, all they're thinking is the most horrible slow, painful, humiliating, awful death that anyone has ever devised in the history of humans. What what can that possibly have to do with following Jesus? And how could you do that every day? What are you talking about? I'm convinced they had no idea what he was talking about until he did it. I think that was the first time that it started to make some sense 
about what it would mean to take up a cross. Because when Jesus, yes, they knew crosses, they saw people be crucified, maybe knew somebody who had been crucified. But when Jesus died on a cross, he did it in a way no one had ever done in the history of crucifixion. They had never seen anyone die this way on a cross. Now, most of those guys weren't there. John was there for it. They were there when Jesus was arrested. They were there, some of them were there when he was put on trial. By the time he went to the cross, all of those guys were gone except for John. It was the women who loved and were devoted to following Jesus who stuck around for that part of it. And those guys had to be told about it. And when, they, when, when the death of Jesus on the cross was described to them, this was a new thing in human history. Because when people went to crosses, they went kicking and screaming to crosses. They went absolutely falling apart to crosses. It would take teams of people to pry a person's hands apart from their body and force them to get to the place where they could be fastened by spikes to a cross. And when Jesus went to a cross, he went willingly. He went intentionally. And he went silently. This is a new thing. This is a brand new thing in this whole process. No one had ever seen anybody go willingly to a cross or intentionally to a cross or silently to one. The book of Hebrews in chapter 10, the author of Hebrews says this incredibly insightful thing and quotes Psalm 40. It says that, tells us something kind of miraculous and amazing and hard to understand about the baby Jesus in Bethlehem. He said that when Christ came into this, when the author of Hebrews says, when Christ came into the world, he said, and then he quotes Psalm 40, sacrifice and offering you do not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. It's written about me in your scroll. I have come to do your will. He was willing to do the will of the Father and give his life on a cross. He came here for that purpose. He did it willingly. He did it intentionally. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, No one takes my life, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. On the night that Jesus was arrested, he's there with his guys in the Garden of Gethsemane, and this dispatch of soldiers, temple guards, breaks through the trees, and they're coming, and Jesus says, who do you want? And they said, we want Jesus of Nazareth. And he steps forward into the torchlight and says, I am he. And as, and as soon as he says, I am, boom, trained soldiers, just a humongous detachment of trained soldiers, just fell on the ground backwards. He didn't have to let this happen. Peter takes out a sword, and he's trying to cut this dude's head off. Misses, hits his ear knocks his ear off. Jesus puts the ear back on the dude's head and tells Peter, don't you know that if I wanted to, I could have 72,000 angelic soldiers here in an instant. I could shut this whole thing down. This is not what we're going to do. He went to his cross willingly. He went to it intentionally. Isaiah chapter 53 says, as a lamb led to the slaughter is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In front of Annas and Caiaphas, Herod and Pilate, 
as they mocked him, as they spat on him, as they made him carry a cross humiliatingly through the streets of the city of which he is the king, the rightful king. While they hurled insults at him, he did not defend himself. He didn't, he didn't weep over that. He, didn't, he wasn't even like bothered. I mean, he just let it all happen. He went silently. The only time he opened his mouth while he was walking down the street, leaving Jerusalem to go out to the garbage dump where he was going to be crucified, was when some compassionate women were weeping over him and feeling sorry, and he stopped everything. He said, we're not doing that. That's the one thing we're not doing. I'll let people spit. I'll let people mock. I'll let people punch. I will let this happen, but don't feel sorry for me. I'm doing this on purpose. I have come here to do this. I don't think the disciples had any concept of what it would mean to follow Jesus by taking up a cross until the world saw someone go to a cross willingly, intentionally, and silently. He bore my, which by the way, if you've just been waiting all morning for your chance to praise the Lord with an amen, I'm telling you, it's coming. He borrowed my humiliation so that I could have his honor. He embraced unfairness so that we could taste the undeserved. He took a temporary loss so that he could win an eternal victory of the one thing he truly wanted, and that was you. You. Hebrews chapter 12 says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. You were the joy set before him. So, okay, this is what Jesus did. This is how he went to the cross. This is when it had to start dawning on their minds what it would mean to follow Jesus by taking up your cross. But it's like, okay, well, I mean, there were things about the cross of Jesus that I cannot mimic that I cannot onboard or do, and that neither can you, by the way. I cannot pay for your sin. Let me just say that to you right now. I cannot do that for you. I am not good enough. Um, I do not have a heart that's good enough. I do not have shoulders that are broad enough to bear the sin of the world over all time. We can't do that. Only Jesus could do that piece of his cross. But what if every single day, you were given an opportunity in some tiny little junior varsity way to willingly, intentionally, and silently walk into your own diminishment for love of someone else. What if every single day you had the chance to borrow someone else's humiliation so that they could have your honor? What if you had the chance to embrace unfairness in a little moment in your day so that someone else could taste the undeserved? What if you took a little junior varsity loss so that someone else could see something they've never seen and maybe their heart would be one for eternity? You know, we live in a world where everybody wants to win and they're willing to fight to do it. They're willing to fight each other about it. They're willing to talk about 
our side, our candidate, our point of view. It's the right one. And if you're not with that one, you're wrong. And I will fight you about it. I will shame you about it. I will scream about it. I'll go off about it because I want to win. I don't want to be wrong. And I'll be happily tell you that you are wrong and I'm right. And in the midst of a world that's like that, do you know what a cup of cold water it is when someone is willing to let somebody else win? Isn't it amazing? What if, what if you recognized an opportunity every single day to lose a little bit? To willingly, silently, intentionally walk into your own diminishment for love of somebody else? Now, look, let me, let me just say, I don't want to do that. I, can, I mean, can we just keep it real for a second? I don't want to do that. I hate that. I hate being wrong. I hate being corrected. Um, I was talking to some people the other day about when Christy and I first got together, we got into, uh, it was one of our earliest fights that I remembered, was we got into a fight about the movie Forget Paris. Some of y'all know this. It's a romantic comedy from the 90s with Billy Crystal. I love Billy Crystal. And I was like, yeah, we should rent that movie, uh, Forget Paris. You know, it has Billy Crystal and Andy McDowell in it. And she was like, no, it doesn't. It has Billy Crystal and Deborah Winger. And I was like, I'm pretty sure it's Andy McDowell, babe. <laughs> and she's like, it's definitely Deborah Winger. And here's the thing. When Christy, Christy and I got together so long ago, like the internet wasn't really that, you know, powerful at that time. And if you had an argument like this, you had to go to Blockbuster to solve it. <laughs> You had to go to Blockbuster and look it up on the shelf and find out that it was, of course it was Deborah Winger. It was, she was fabulous in Forget Paris. I hate being wrong. I don't want to be corrected. I don't want to do this. I don't, I don't want to lose. But what if in little tiny moments of our day, we said no to ourselves, deny yourself, it's that feeling you have sometimes when you just keep driving by McDonald's. No, self, we're not doing that right now. <laughs> it's a no. What if we denied ourselves and willingly, intentionally, silently walked into our own diminishment in little moments of our day for the love of someone else? It's, that's the way the kingdom of God is built, by the way. In the middle of a world that loves to fight, when there's someone who refuses to for love of someone else, they shine like stars in a crooked and perverse generation, don't they? I told you a little bit about the house I grew up in, and it was a good family, and we, we, we had fun. We just didn't get to play board games with dad or whatever, but um, I, think, I think it's one of the reasons that when, when I was 17 and I met Potts, it changed my life so much. Because, I don't know if you guys know this, Potts is the best athlete you know. He's the best, he, he has the best hand-eye coordination of anybody I've ever met. Him and Thomas are like neck and neck on that. But Potsy is the best golfer you know. He's the best tennis player you know. He's definitely the best swimmer you've ever met, 100%. But um, there's nothing that gives Potsy more joy than playing sports with you and, let, and making sure you do well and that you have a great time. Potts wants, he is happy to lose as long as you had fun and you had a great uh, situation, a great moment. I had never met anyone like this in my entire life. When I played tennis with my dad, he beat me like a drum. 
And I'm like, I'm seven years old. Like, what are we doing? He's like, it's a sport. Toughen up, you know? But it, it, it wrecked and changed my world to meet somebody who feels like, no, the thing that's important to me right now is you. What if there was a person who willingly lost for love of someone else? What if there was a room of people, like, I don't know, say this room, who decided, I'm going to willingly walk into my own diminishment for love of somebody else? What if there was a community? Guys, that's how the kingdom of God changes the world. When you say in your life, I don't want to fight you, I want to win you. I don't need to beat you, because I know someone who wants to woo you. Um, I, had, I had a really good friend, I'm not going to call him out, but a couple of weeks ago he was in a situation where, um, he was in a situation where one of his, he and his buddies were talking and somebody else overheard their conversation, thought they were talking about him, got upset, got his feelings hurt, and went and told some people and everything. It went to somebody else. The whole thing got back to me. And so I was like, I guess I have to go deal with this. So I have to have this conversation. Hey, this, was, this thing was said, and this person got their feelings hurt, and will you please go clean this up? I would love to clean it up. I wasn't even talking about him. That was a total misunderstanding. And so then the next time I saw him, I was like, hey, did you get a chance to make that deal right? And he was like, yeah. Well, what happened? He was like, um, I told him I was sorry. I told him I was sorry that I hurt him. And I was like, well, did you explain that you weren't talking about him actually, that he completely misunderstood and actually it was kind of his fault? And, uh, and my friend said, uh, no, I didn't explain that. I, I just said I was sorry that I hurt him. And I was like, well, why didn't you defend yourself? And he said, because he was hurt. Man, that's the kingdom of God being built. That's how we do this, little bit by little bit, denying myself, walking into my own diminishment for the love of somebody else. This is the way we build the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for um, the way that you went to the cross in a way that no one had ever seen anything like that before, that you were willing to lose so that we could win and you could win us. We can't pay for anybody's sins and we can't go to the extremity that you did. But every day you're going to give us a chance to build the kingdom in small and beautiful ways, just like you did. Help us to follow you. It's in your name we pray. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, open to
Brother, love is reigning o'er us. Brother, love binds man to 